0: reconnect with your inner sense of safety grounding and centeredness learn more today at eomega.org thrive it's only a kick a jump a block it's only a serve it's only a tackle a run it's only for the fans after all it's only pressure You got this. Adidas.
1: Support for this program comes from Sacred Threads, a center which provides opportunities for people of all faith traditions to explore and enrich their spiritual journeys. Check out their programs and offerings at sacredthreadcenter.org.
2: From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. If you're a reader of Spirituality and Health Magazine, and I hope you are, you know me as the writer of Roadside Assistance for the Spiritual Traveler, a spiritual Q&A column where I do my best to provide simple, direct answers to your spiritual questions. With Essential Conversations, the table is turned. I ask the questions and invite my guests to provide their answers. But in both settings, we're looking for honest, maybe even blunt talk. Our conversations are brief and they leave no time for dodging questions. We look forward to your participation in the conversation via our website, spiritualityhealth.com, and encourage you to download the Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami app to your smartphone so you never miss a show. My guest today is Stephen Kiesling. He's the editor-in-chief of Spirituality and Health magazine and has a very interesting background outside of publishing. He was a member of the 1980 United States Olympic team. He's written a number of books on exercise and spirituality, including the bestseller of The Shell Game: Reflections on Rowing and the Pursuit of Excellence. He's written for The New Yorker, Sports Illustrated, and Outside, and he's been a guest on NBC's Today and NPR's All Things Considered. Steve Keesling, welcome to Essential Conversations. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Well, it's a delight to have you. So given the fact that this is a show that's really a project of Spirituality Health magazine, I want to spend most of our time on what you've learned from the magazine, from editing the magazine, about current trends in spirituality and health in the United States today, among the demographic that the magazine reaches. But before we actually go into that, since you did write these books and you have had this experience with sports, how does sport exercise connect with excellence? Well, all of these practices, rowing is my spiritual
1: practice, and I've been doing it now for 40 years, and it's a moving meditation, and it's taught me the same kinds of things that meditation teaches other people. This has been an issue for a long time. Dan Goleman and I worked on a book called The Relaxed Body Book in the 1980s when I was at an American Health magazine, and he came up with a test which basically separated people who were able to relax their bodies or relax their minds. That's when I realized I was a body guy. When I tried to meditate, I got more nervous, but I could row and the other people are the other way. And that keeps going.
2: Do you think it was part of a time in the country? I'm thinking of George Leonard's books on keto and mastery as a key to success and long-term fulfillment. Were we more embodied 20 years ago, 30 years ago than now?
1: Yeah, well, the 80s was the fitness boom, and it was the first time that people realized that, you know, you could run a marathon at age 70. So everybody was, you know, I mean, getting up and running, and jogging was the path to nirvana. Then the 90s was the decade of the brain, the realization that you can regenerate neurons at every age. And now we're doing something of a, of a synthesis of those. Is there's still people who are body types and still people who are mental types, but it, it is more together.
2: So more integration, which is why the magazine is both As opposed to where you were before with American health, it's both spirituality and health.
1: Yeah, American health, part of the reason that it ultimately got boring for me as the fitness editor was that there's only so far you can go with the body. And then you're saying, hey, you know, jog three times a week. And there's a point where if you're really pushing your body as hard as you can as an Olympic athlete, you get to places that are spiritual. And the questions that you find there are spiritual. That's where the fun is. And actually, that's why that magazine ran out of steam for me. And spirituality and health is much more fun because the conversations are more interesting. I get to talk with you and I get to talk with experienced meditators and llamas and all that kind of thing and and compare notes about what we're doing in the world.
2: How do you understand spirituality? What are you thinking of when you use the word?
1: When I use the word spirituality, I take Brother David Stendhal-Rath's definition, which is
2: spirituality
1: is total aliveness. You know, the the spiritual moments are the moments where we are most alive. We're in awe. We're at peace. But the experience is huge, even in a quiet way. And how do you get there? I think that's a broader definition than a lot of people use, but I also think it's a better one.
2: So do do you tie that to practice? Is it a path to total aliveness or multiple paths?
1: The nice thing about total aliveness is that you're not totally alive by yourself. That is a community thing. And if you're I mean, if your path to enlightenment is just about you, I think it's not a very interesting path and won't get you very far. It just makes you boring.
2: You think that goes back to your days in rowing? Do they have a crew?
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the wonderful thing about rowing in an eight is that it takes eight people to make it work, and everybody has to be doing exactly the same thing, and at the same time, When it's going well, you feel the strength of eight people on your own oar. So it's this incredibly kind of narcissistic experience of, wow, I've got all this power. But at the same time, the realization that that power comes from being in complete harmony with the seven other guys you're rowing with.
2: So how would you apply that to a spiritual practice? Or, or even even I'm thinking more prosaically of, of religious attendance at a service or something. I guess the idea would be the same, that you're, <laughs> metaphorically, you're rowing uh, with dozens of people in a room.
1: I mean, you can you can tell. I mean, the energy of a of a room where people are united in their prayers and their meditation or their dance, it's palpable and it's really a good thing. And if that energy is also building a cathedral or feeding the poor or all the things that churches have typically done, I mean, that's wonderful. But if it's just about you know looking good in standex, forget it. Wait, you switched from you're not talking about church now, right? I mean, I I guess my my (laughs) criticism of some of the you know, the spiritual community is that it is not doing the kinds of things that the Catholic Church that I grew up in does as a matter of course, you know, raises money for projects and feeds the poor and all
2: those kind of things. That sort of brings us into the demographic of the magazine. Does the magazine appeal to people who are on individual paths, you think, or more communal? I
1: think we have a lot of both. Part of what happens is that the traditional religions, at some point, you just grow out of them. You realize that the stories are metaphorical or the the teachings, you know, they get you so far and then realize, hey, this isn't working. At some point in life, whatever path you've been on suddenly ends and there's a crisis. You know, hopefully there's a crisis and you break into something that's more interesting and that's and I think that's where the people in the magazine are, the people who have gone through some metamorphosis and are trying to figure
2: it out. I happen to agree, so this is not a criticism, but it is a pretty bold thing to say that you basically outgrow the conventional understanding of religion. I mean, as soon as you take the stories as metaphor, then it's something you can grow into because it's the only limit to their meaning is your own imagination. But, That's not how religion is normally portrayed, which brings me to another question. When I go through the magazine, and I've been working on the magazine or, you know, for the magazine for years, we don't do articles on religion necessarily. We do articles on people and projects that draw from religion, perhaps, you know, as a in the context of spirituality, more generically understood. But our focus is, as you said a moment ago, total aliveness, not certainly not allegiance to any faith.
1: One of the things I learned actually from writing for Sports Illustrated, I did adventure stories. I covered some of the real extremists, you know, people who did pretty crazy things. But if you, if you tell the story of the person, you understand how it happened. And the same thing with talking about spiritual experiences. The magazine is, is about people telling where they're coming from. And if you start out by saying, you know, this is, this is my experience then you can talk about all kinds of interesting things. And what we don't want to do is preach. Just say, oh, you should do this. No, I mean, I experienced this, and therefore I believe this. And then people can take it or not. The problem with religion is it's about a set, you know, generally about a set bunch of rules that you're supposed to follow because, you know, because God said so or because whatever. And that just doesn't work for our readers.
2: certainly doesn't work for me. I mean, when I look at the magazine, I get a sense, and this is pretty out there, so you (laughs) take it wherever you think it'll lead you, but there was a trend centuries ago of spiritual memoir, where people would write about their quest for God and and their walk with Jesus, because most of these things were Christian. I suspect the magazine is in that genre, that it's telling us about people rather than uh, belief systems, it's telling us about personal transformation rather than catechisms, and that it's learning from one another by reading about one another that we really are, I don't know if the word is pushing, but helping people toward this total aliveness. It's much more humanistic than religious.
1: That's exactly right. I mean, it, it's its kind of the blind man and the elephant. You know, we're all, the magazine is filled with different voices of people coming and said, hey, listen, what I, you know, this is what I felt. And I'm not a historian and I'm not a, I'm not a rabbi. I'm not a, I am. What I'm really good at personally is helping people develop their stories. And you know, I'm a good editor in, in that I can help, you know, help people describe what, what happened to them in a way that's interesting. You know, I don't know the history of that, but I do know that when you put, when you get people together who have done interesting things, it makes a great mix.
0: Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive.
1: This episode is supported by FX's Clipped,
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it keeps the magazine exciting to read because you're always going, "Oh, what's this person into?" But there's a gatekeeping aspect to the magazine. I mean, not it's not a web, uh it's not a Twitter feed where anyone can get an account and publish their own stuff. They have to go through the gate of, you know, uh, the editors of the magazine. What's yes. the criteria that you use to decide what do I want to share and what don't I want to share?
1: I mean, that, that's a tough question and. I mean, we're trying to be reality-based spirituality, reality spirituality. And this is, you know, a lot of, you know, spiritualism and, you know, talking to, talking to dead people. I don't, well, I don't really believe that the dead people talk to us. I don't think, I believe in, personally, I believe that consciousness is, is embodied, that, you know, our, we are a soul. We don't have a soul. And so most of the stories tend to kind of come out of that belief because I'm the editor, but I mean, we also get some other things, but it is, it, it's not religious. You know? We're trying to base all of this in in some sort of common ground, whether it's psychology or neuroscience or whatever. That uh, So there's a, a way for people to actually understand what we're saying that isn't about just saying, oh, believe me, because I say
2: this is true. Right, right. This is a very different magazine than Christianity today, where they're really promoting a specific read of Christianity. I, I like this term, reality, spirituality. If we're going to take total aliveness as our definition of spirituality, then we want total aliveness that's based on the reality of my in my physical being in the world, I guess is whats is what you're saying.
1: One, one of the toughest stories I ever did, you know, personally, was I went to Israel, and I went to uh, Zavod, and... Uh, I managed to annoy a couple of the rabbis who were doing um they were doing the Bible code when the when computers Oh yeah they put the you know they put the Torah into the um into their computer and it was it, it, and they it was supposed to predict the future and I thought it was really silly and I kind of insulted them and so they said well um maybe you'd like to learn something about your own tradition like um Jesus is buried over there. And, you know, they were quite serious and they were probably right. And at the one hand, I don't, you know, I, I don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. At the same time, it was, it was pretty shattering to have somebody say, oh, and by the way, he's over there and, and be able to give some pretty good evidence.
2: And, was there, yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry.
1: I mean, that, that's a, that's a hard thing to, I think you know, we we all it's if we're lucky, we have experiences like that where where things that we've really held you know, at some level are at the core of our being are shattered. And and I think you know, and, and a lot of people say, Oh well that's terrible. No, that's you know, lucky you when that happens because yeah. because something better comes up.
2: You know? Right. Well that's that's the reality part. I think when reality <laughs> yeah. shatters the the imagined core of your being that leads to total aliveness i think that's sort of a, a point um uh, so do your your spiritual upbringing when well, you you had a religious upbringing when you were a kid I'm i assuming. was
1: uh yeah i was brought up uh brought up catholic by um but my mother was also an is an evolutionary biologist so you know it's it was, a, it was an interesting time. It was actually the Bay Area in the 60s and we had a group that was the parapsychology research group was meeting in our living room and we had people, you know, bending spoons and talking to plants and all kinds of things. My dad ran off to Esalen when I was a kid and we, they, my parents got divorced. Um, so it was a mix of, of, you know, Catholicism and all kinds of new age interesting things.
2: Yeah. Was there a point where you felt were you just sort of outgrew what you had been given as a kid? You...
1: Oh, I, I don't. I, I think I got so much as a kid that it, I couldn't outgrow it. It was more, um, that was part of the reason I went to Yale and started rowing. It was not, you know, get, give myself, get myself on
2: solid ground. Or something. <laughs> you have to go from one coast to the other. To exactly. Rounded. You know, yeah. uh, California in the 60s, not the most you know, grounded.
1: You know, it's interesting, you know, my, my father, I mean, he went through a, uh, he went from a, being a Goldwater Republican to a very liberal Democrat. He quit the aerospace industry and worked to, went to work for zero population growth. And I was the third child of four. You know, we, we had all these bumper stickers in the house saying, you know, stop at two. And we're like, wait a second. <laughs> you know? um, and so I think, you know, part of my, the benefit of that was taking everything for with a grain of salt. Because... You know, the world is, you know, it's full of doomsayers, you know, that, oh, that, you know, back in the late 60s, there was the population bomb, and that, you know, that may do us in. But if you're the third child of a, you know, stop it too, you don't wait a second. You know, life is really great. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, you're not volunteering to retroactively the population. I mean, it really
1: is. We're either the, I mean, I can look at myself and say, gosh, I am the source of the problem because there are three, you know, there are too many people or, you know, I can be part of the solution and I'd much rather live as part of the solution.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a good, a good choice to make. So let, let me see if we can go from the sixties to the, uh, 20 teens, because it seems to me that there's a lot of parallel from then to now. And that, uh, the magazine reflects that. So, I know that my journalist friends tell me that newspapers are, the, what do they call it, the first draft of history. And I, and I suspect magazines are similar. So if you were looking to identify a couple of trends, if you look at the cover stories from the, from the last, I don't know, couple of years in the magazine, do you notice anything emerging? Well, one, of the, one
1: of the really interesting
2: uh, conflicts going on right now,
1: uh, and, and it's, it's coming up in our May issue, is... Is between, you know, in diet between the, the paleo people and the, uh, vegetarians and vegans. You know, who's got it right? Because, you know, the paleos are saying, hey, by the way, you're better off just eating, you know, eating meat and, um and vegetables. And the, uh, vegans are saying, oh, that's cruel and it's gonna destroy the world. And they're really good arguments on both sides. You know, and where I live actually, well, close by is people were living here thirteen thousand years ago on a paleo diet. And what's interesting is that now in the the lakes have dried up, it's high desert, and there are cattle out there, you know. I mean mm-hmm. the ironies on all this are amazing.
2: So so it's it sounds like the 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 vegans versus the paleos. It's like Catholics versus Protestants or Right. I mean, are we just taking the same mindset uh that we had when we talk about religion or politics? And now we're doing it with this. I mean, yeah. are, except there, there's,
1: you know, the, the difference between this is that it, it it actually there is a there should be a, a real answer to the question. Actually, I, I think there the fact is, there's, you know, all of this is very local. If you're trying to feed people. um you know, food supplies are very local. In some places, it makes a lot of sense to eat, eat meat and cows and, you know, game. And, and a lot of places, it really doesn't. And if you, if you try and say, well, one rule, you know, fits everybody, I don't think you do anybody any good.
2: But, but you seem to be describing the emergence of new tribes, the paleo tribe and the vegan tribe or the tribe that, you know, just eats Greek yogurt all day. And that, yeah. yeah,
1: that's true. And I think, actually, that's that's where, you know, that's where the, you know, people are tribal and the, you know, the Catholic Protestant tri- tribes are, they don't have any real thing to fight about anymore, so now, you know, so now it's turned to food, and that right.
2: is... The, the food fight.
1: The food fight. <laughs> and it's really interesting, um, and, and it's fun to cover both sides of it, to have, in this issue, we have the president of PETA, and we have a, a doctor... You know, talking about why she went paleo. And it's it's That's interesting.
2: I look forward to reading that. Steve, thank you very much for being our guest on the show. Oh, this is really fun. I think it's going to be a great show. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Visit our website, spiritualityhealth.com, to subscribe to the magazine and download the app for this podcast. Our sponsor this week is the Sacred Thread Center, providing opportunities for spiritual exploration for people of all faiths and traditions and none. Please visit them at their website, sacredthreadcenter.org. Essential Conversations is produced by Corinne Johnston, and our program coordinator is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for joining us.